This is In the Arena, the Colorado Concern podcast that explores the intersection of business and politics. I'm your host, Mike Kopp. Dan Jablonski is the president and CEO of Maxar Technologies. It's a space company located right here in Colorado. It's super exciting to see the space industry cluster grow in our home state, and it's also exciting to see the number of employees working in this incredible sector grow along with it. Maxar recently caught our attention at a very poignant moment in American history. It was during the withdrawal from Afghanistan. It was Maxar's real-time space imaging that made escape possible for Americans and friends of Americans who were secreted into the airport at Kabul and eventually retrieved to safety. We sat down with Dan to talk about these events and to discuss the impact of space in the Colorado economy. I hope you enjoy. Dan Jablonski, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast now. We've had you as a member of Colorado Concern, I think, for the last couple of years. But for people that don't know about Maxar and this incredible company that you lead uh, right here in Colorado, could you tell us a little bit about what you do? Hey, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me here today. And, and also thanks for all the leadership work you do with Colorado Concern and all your great work in the state. We're, we're really proud to be part of the organization and proud to be um, you know, helping, helping you do great things here in Colorado and across the country and across the world. Uh, so Maxar Technologies is a company that does space and earth intelligence. We have satellites that we build for NASA missions and for commercial customers like EchoStar here in Colorado to help connect the world through radio and TV and broadband connections. And we also build satellites uh, for Maxar, for our Earth intelligence side of the business that do Earth observation missions. And you've probably seen uh, that um, where your, your listeners probably have on something like Google Maps. If you click into Google Maps and you get the satellite imagery, that's actually a Maxar provided product uh, sourced from our own uh, constellation of satellites. And it's the best uh, commercially available satellite imagery anywhere on the, on the, on the planet. And we're happy to be uh, doing that sort of thing, flying those satellites and leading that sort of technology development out, out of Colorado here. Dan, I wanted to start with, I want to get into your your background a little bit because I think you have a fascinating background. But I also want to start with uh, something in in recent news that continues to be a subject and will continue to be a subject, and that is uh, Afghanistan. And in all, I was glued, you know, to every form of media I could get my hands on and had time for to watch the events unfold over in Afghanistan. And I picked up along the way that uh, somebody was talking about Maxar technology being utilized in such a way that it was helping get Americans and, and our allies exfiltrated. Could you just, what, there's probably parts of this you can't talk about, but could you talk about parts of, of how Maxar supported uh, that work over there and I, I don't know if, if you're at liberty to say how that might change now with our our mission posture changing over in Afghanistan. Yeah, sure thing, Mike. And and uh, Maxar has been a, a very proud uh, partner, proud supporter of work that the U.S. government does and has been doing across the world. And we've been doing a lot of that for over two decades now. And some of the technologies that we've developed here at Maxar in terms of uh, the earth observation piece that we do, but also data propagation and make that information useful in real time for uh, American and allied troops in critical situations like that was pioneered in the, in the Afghan theater of operations. 
and so two of those technologies that, that I'd be I'd be glad to talk about is we've supported that mission uh, since its inception and and in uh, right up through and and post the events of the uh, the withdrawal of U.S. troops there um, relate to getting satellite imagery in the hands of people that need it um, and derivative aspects of it in in real time scenarios. So. One of those things that we pioneered was uh, really rapid timelines and, and availability of satellite data uh, for American troops on the ground there. One of those programs we, we run for the U.S. government uh, through the National Reconnaissance Office and through the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency is called Global EGD, or Global Enhanced Geospatial Delivery. And within uh, 10 minutes of one of our satellites going overhead, we can have real-time, near real-time satellite information in web-enabled and classified and other types of environments available for all of the U.S. troops and all of our allies on the ground in places like Afghanistan on things like computers and laptops and battalion mission operation centers right out to the field with uh, web-enabled devices like uh, ATAC devices. And the U.S. military has got an acronym for everything, but, but that stands for Android Tactical Assault Kit, which is a hopped-up Android phone. And uh, we've been able to uh, get, get satellite data into the hands of troops sort of real time. You know, one of the other things we've been able to do is also we've created 3D technology that's very, very useful in Afghanistan. So when the 82nd Airborne was helping, and, and Mike, I know you know that outfit well, but when the 82nd Airborne was helping uh, get the, the evacuees out of the Kabul airport, we provided the satellite-based imagery that we modeled into high-definition, photorealistic, hyper-accurate uh, 3D data sets for the leaders uh, in, in Kabul there to be able to understand the situational awareness, understand ingress and egress routes, the security profile of the Kabul airport. And uh, we understand that it was very beneficial to the, to the, the teams that were there um, as they were conducting um, those operations in a, in a you know, pretty tense and real-time environment while they were there. Yeah, that is fascinating. I, so um, I'm sure I, I could ask you all kinds of questions you wouldn't be able to talk about, but I think it's fairly commonly known uh, how long it takes one of one of your satellites or a typical satellite to orbit the world. So if you so if you don't get the image you need in Afghanistan on this pass, how long does it take to go around the Earth? Yeah, so we we actually we've got uh, four satellites in our constellation right now, and they're the the highest uh, grade commercial imagery available anywhere on the planet. Um, and they they operate in what we call a low Earth orbit environment. So they they're between 480 and 770 kilometers above the Earth and doing a low Earth orbit pass, which means they circle the planet about 16 times a day. So they're traveling so traveling 17,000 kilometers an hour, and every you know 90 some minutes or so, we get imagery of different parts of the planet. Now they they circle over the poles, and we have ground stations across the world. And we can uplink and downlink into theater. So as one of our satellites is going over Afghanistan, we can actually downlink into theater directly. Now, if we miss that pass, we can catch our next ground station and use our worldwide network and backhaul operations to get that information uh, quickly to where it needs to be. We're building our next set of, of Constellation assets. And, and so and that's Worldview Legion, uh, which start coming online next spring. And that uh, will be another six additional satellites to our Constellation. And some of those will be what we call mid-inclination orbits. And so they won't go over the poles, but they'll be uh, circling the planet between the 50 uh, degree lines on the globe. And with that, the current constellation plus that constellation will be able to hit any place on the planet up to 15 times a day uh, to take imagery. 
And, it, and these are very sophisticated satellites. They don't look just straight down. We can maneuver them and have them look any place in their field of view um, as they're making a, a pass over any place on the planet. So we're really excited about what that kind of capability provides and what we'll be able to provide to customers, including the U.S. government. We do that. You know, and, and just in terms of like data, uh, the massive amounts of data that, that exists from something like that. Right now, we collect about three and a half million square kilometers of the Earth's landmass every day. Uh, when Legion comes online, we'll be collecting about five and a half million square kilometers of the Earth's landmass, and that feeds intelligence applications and mapping applications and economic awareness for people that buy our, our products and services across the globe. Yeah, that's uh, that's just some remarkable information about your company, Dan. For years, I've been it's been a joy to receive these nice invitations to go down to Florida and watch a satellite launch. Uh, a rocket launch. Do you launch your vehicles from Florida? Uh, is there any reason why that ultimately couldn't be done from our home state of Colorado here? Uh, great question. We, we actually, we, right now we do launches uh, for Maxar uh, built satellites in three places. Um, and oh. uh, two of those are in the U.S. Uh, some of our commercial customers for geosynchronous satellites and communication satellites, particularly sometimes international customers, we might launch on an Ariane space rocket out of uh, French Guiana. But most of our launches take place either at Vandenberg Air Force Base or at, oh. uh, Cape, or at Cape Canaveral. And it, part of it depends on what launch and orbitology you're going into. So some of our satellites, when we've launched them on the Earth observation missions, we've launched from Vandenberg. Uh, the Legion class will be launched out of Cape Canaveral on a SpaceX rocket, but we've launched on ULA, which is also another proud Colorado company uh, before, and we will continue to launch with them as well. And I was just recently, uh, my last launch was for Sirius XM radio at the Cape in July. We launched Sirius XM 8 and recently commissioned that mission for um, them so that people can drive around all, all the great places in North America here and get satellite radio. <laughs> now we know why. <laughs> yeah. In terms of, you know, the Colorado, um, I think it depends on what the, you know, what's available and what the economics are. Um, we're happy to, you know, launch out of any, any place that's got the right level of uh, mission need support. So a lot of geo missions go out of the Cape because they're very large rockets and pretty heavy and uh, you got to get all the way up to the geo belt. Benberg, sometimes smaller rockets if you're launching something in low Earth orbit. And there are, uh, there are over 140 launch companies now that are running business plans to see if they can do different types of launches with different types of payloads. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're keeping pretty close abreast of where they're doing that and what types of capabilities are coming online, as well as what those price points look like. And, you know, if Colorado breaks into the right level there, we'd be happy to, to work with them. Well, I do ask it from an economic development standpoint, everybody I talk to about space and you and, and some of your counterparts and, and other um, aspects of space in Colorado have all commented about how Colorado is is becoming a hub, but it could be really even a, a greater kind of more intentional uh, space hub. And I, I suppose if you had launch capability in the state, um, that would be pretty attractive for companies uh, to relocate to Colorado, I'd have to assume. Yeah, I think it's, you know, Mike, I think it's less dependent on launch capabilities um, because we can get the satellites to where we need them to the launch pads. And there are, there are certain reasons it's it's kind of nice to be able to launch over the, the oceans <laughs> in case uh, anything happens during <laughs> yeah. the launch. 
Yeah. But but I, I would I mean kind of to that point, Colorado's got a really robust space economy, and I was I was in D.C. last week meeting with um, Senator Hickenlooper, who's been a you know a leading light on a lot of these issues. And uh, if you think about a company like Max, our headquartered here, plus the operations that Lockheed Martin has um, at Waterton Canyon, plus Ball Aerospace, plus Sierra Nevada, uh, plus Raytheon's got um, assets in the state now. That like really big companies on the commercial side. And a ton of startup companies uh, supported by some really big U.S. government customers, the National Reconnaissance Office and Space Force and the Air Force. And then also um, the, the wonderful academic support we, you know, that we enjoy in the state. Uh, University of Colorado's got a world-class um, astro uh, engineering program and, and, and other types of engineers and technologists and data scientists, as well as the other universities in the state. And there's just an amazing ecosystem here. That I think is is thriving and is as good, if not better, than any state in the union right now. Yeah, that is really exciting to hear. So, I wonder if you could just take a step to the side for a moment and, and talk about back to Maxar, which I'm sure you don't ever mind talking about Maxar. Could you help our listeners sort of apprehend the kinds of product offerings that you have? I know you've alluded to a few, both now, but but also. Like what is emerging? What are companies going to be using by way of space technology that they may not even realize today? Yeah, and I'll and I'll tell you two different threads of stories. They're both on the space side and then on the you know the the data sciences and the earth intelligence side of what we do. And we've we've been doing some really interesting and exciting things here at Maxar um, on uh, on both fronts. So on the on the space exploration and industrialization side. We've actually, we, Maxar is the first element of what will become the gateway mission set for the Artemis operations in the cislunar atmosphere, cislunar environment, which is the, the lunar missions uh, with the moon that will put the first uh, woman and the next man on the moon. And so we're creating a space station, kind of like the International Space Station is really close to our planet. This lunar uh, space station will be um, over 400,000 kilometers away. So we're four. 100 kilometers away right now will be over 400,000 kilometers away. And so we've been developing the infrastructure and the technology to be able to create uh, power generation there, to be able to move things around and do robotics in, an app, in, a, in a location like that that will support those kinds of operations. Those same kind of things that we've been building support deep space mission explorations to go out and explore asteroids, as well as uh, put robot arms on Mars. There are six robot arms on Mars right now, and Max are built all six of those. And we're now using those kinds of robots to be able to uh, refuel satellites and do servicing on orbit. We've got a mission that launches in about 18 months on that front, as well as then put stuff together in space and create large reflectors and, and do on-orbit manufacturing. So as we, as we think about the strategic implications and the commercial implications about the industrialization of space, Maxar is on the forefront of that type of activity, and, and we're really excited to be doing that. On the... On the data sciences part and the earth intelligence part, it's just uh, feels like some of the, the um, opportunities are almost boundless right now. Um, as, we, as we take all of that satellite imagery in the databases and we're running massive amounts of data in the cloud, democratizing that data, allowing people to use it in, in, as a data as a service inside their own types of applications like Google Maps and Apple Maps and other things like that, as well as uh, create uh, these highly accurate photorealistic 3D models are allowing people to 
take like an oil company to be able to not only monitor operations, but to take any type of other data from drone data to IoT type data to other information and lock it down in a highly accurate way into their data sets. Uh, and then to be able to run artificial intelligence and machine learning across it to, to be able to understand their business trends and their environments and, and what they want to do in terms of um, you know, exploiting a type of resource as well as the safety of the environment that they operate in. Well, Dan, you've been uh, very generous with your time today, and we really appreciate that. I want to mention to our listeners that uh, there may even be the potential for uh, a special uh, a, a special select tour at Maxar uh, down the road. So people listening can stay tuned and look for more information on that. But before we let you go, um, I did want to say thank you for your own service and um I probably should have put this at the start, but it's a fascinating question to me. Nonetheless, you're a Navy man, and you've had a very interesting career to get from the United States Navy uh, to what you're doing now. Could you just tell us a little bit about your own story? Yeah, delighted to, Mike. I've I've, I've been uh, blessed with a very good set of um, career opportunities, I guess. So I I was a Naval Academy graduate, uh, and and when I when I graduated from the Naval Academy, I joined the, uh, the fleet as a surface warfare officer and a nuclear engineer and served most of my time in the Pacific on nuclear powered cruisers, supporting the types of operations we were doing out in the far Pacific uh, for, for U.S. strategic uh, benefit. And after I got out of the Navy, I went to law school uh, and became a corporate and securities lawyer and did uh, international mergers and acquisitions and corporate deals and IPOs and all of those kind of fun things uh, for a period of time. Uh, when I first moved to Colorado, I was a prosecuting attorney at the, or at the SEC in the Division of Enforcement, uh, helping uh, do financial fraud cases and helping keep the markets free and clear of, of, you know, to be able to operate efficiently. Very important mission. And then I had a great career as a lawyer, uh, including as a partner at Brownstein, Hyatt, Farber & Shrek uh, in the state here. In 2012, got asked by Digital Globe, which is one of the companies that eventually became Maxar to become the general counsel. And over the past almost 10 years, I've had a, a varying set of uh, great assignments inside what is now Maxar, including as a, as a lawyer, uh, running mergers and acquisitions, uh, running our international defense and intelligence practice, um, and eventually all of the digital globe portfolio, and then become the CEO of Maxar in 2019. So just a, a really exciting thing to be able to work with the, the 5,000 plus team members of Maxar and do the kind of great stuff we do across the world and also for the United States. Uh, as a proud mission partner. Well, it's a wonderful story. It's a fantastic company. We're really honored to have you as members of Colorado Concern. And more importantly, we are really excited to have you as such strong contributors to the economic vitality of the state. And I mean, you're really opening up the future to the rest of us. And so thanks again for taking time to talk to us today. Hey, thanks, Mike. And also thanks for your service and thanks for your leadership in Colorado Concern. It's a really important organization and we're, we're proud to be affiliated with it. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for that. Thank you very much for that, Dan. Thanks for listening to the In the Arena podcast with Colorado Concern. I hope you'll subscribe so you can stay informed on the intersection of business and politics in Colorado. 